When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Turf Show Times Radio. I'm Kenneth Arthur, and welcome if you're a Rams fan. Uh, stick around for future episodes. Uh, we'll be coming out to you after every Rams game with an instant reaction podcast. Uh, myself and Blaine Didasco of Turf Show Times, and you can tune in every week for more preview episodes and uh, other episodes that will be covering the Rams short 10 to 20 minute little bites there of information. So please do subscribe if you are here because you're a Rams fan. Uh, but this week uh, I want to also <laughs> talk to Mina Kimes, who you may know from the Rams broadcasts or ESPN, the magazine, ESPN, the television network uh, <laughs> uh, around the horn. And uh, just recently, first take with Stephen A. Smith, Mina Kimes. Uh, welcome to Turf Show Times. Hey, thank you for having me. I also have a podcast, Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. And this week uh, we do talk about the Rams. So Rams Great. fans will want to check it out. Yes, absolutely. Mina Kimes, uh, one of the top podcasts uh, out <laughs> there. No, no disputing it. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you, uh, Mina, for coming on talking Rams, but uh, I also want to talk to you specifically about uh, right off the bat. I'm just so excited. The football is back uh, and I want to just get directly to it with you. And I want to talk about the NFC West. It's mm. just the whole thing. Uh, you know, it's crazy because you go back to 2010, the Seahawks win the division at seven and nine. The whole place is a joke, you know, before the AFC South was the AFC South you know, the NFC West was the worst division they were saying of all time. And in the last 10 years, it has dominated the headlines, the NFC, uh, the off seasons every year. It just seems that you think it's going to be the year it takes a step back. And it seems like 2021, somehow it took a step forward. What were your initial thoughts there on the four teams in the NFC West in week one? Well, going into the season, I kept saying, I feel like you could rank these teams in any order and I can defend it. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I felt a little more leery of the Cardinals. I kind of felt like there, there was the, they were just outside the top three. But after week one, I don't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kyler Murray looked absolutely terrifying. So and I actually think the San Francisco 49ers I mean, who have, you know, battled injuries for years now, losing Raheem Mostert and Jason Verrett to injury week one is pretty significant. And mm. maybe they might be switching place with Arizona in my estimation, but you know, both the Rams and the Seahawks looked as dominant as one might expect. And it's scary. I, I mean, I definitely think three playoff teams will probably come out of this division. People brought it up when they announced, you know, the seventh playoff team, but, you know, saying that it is possible that all four teams in a division could go. And you would think that at the very least right now, with the way things are looking, the fourth place team in the NFC West 
uh, if they don't go to the playoffs, will be uh, considered very probably a very good team that is not mm. going to the playoffs. While you know a team from the NFC East or whatever the bad division is going to be this <laughs> year, uh, maybe it's the uh, NFC North actually. But uh, a team, a bad team, will make it, and maybe a team from the NFC West will get left out. But it's interesting because this week uh, Matthew Stafford won NFC Offensive Player of the Week, and there was a lot of talk about whether or not that was a snub for Kyler Murray. I watched, you know, the Cardinals game as well. Hard to dispute Kyler Murray. He really seems to have taken that next step. And and while it's only one game in one week, you know, it was also on the road against a very good Titans team that I think is going to prove to be very good after this week, uh, as, as a lot of people had expected. When you look at Stafford and Murray, and then nobody would even talk about Russell Wilson having four touchdowns and no picks. He's not even in the conversation. And then on top of that, the 49ers scored the most points in week one. So with all of that stuff going on, where do you think you're at with the talent acquisitions here at quarterback? Because you've got Trey Lance, Kyler Murray kind of taking that next step forward. Do you think he's going to be a Josh Allen-y 2021 guy and then Matthew Stafford coming in on top of all of, of that. Well, with Kyler, it's hard to even compare to Josh Allen because I think he was better in last year in the previous year than Josh Allen was his first two years yeah. in the NFL. Um, I actually disagree about the Titans. I'm, I'm pretty mm. down on them <laughs> after week one. And um, I, I think the Cardinals are playing the Vikings this week. So I'm not sure we'll learn that much more about yeah. Him, but I think just seeing when, when I had a chance to finally watch that game, you know, you saw a lot of the crazy highlight plays, the off-platform throws, running around for 43 yards, I think, before hitting uh, Rondell Moore on the sideline. Yeah, it, but but I think what I was so impressed by was he also made a lot of really great throws in structure and to the intermediate level, which is not some this was something an area where he's been inconsistent in the past. So if he can sustain that level of play against harder defenses he immediately is thrust into that upper top, certainly top 10 tier, maybe higher of quarterbacks where, you know, Russell Wilson and right now, Matthew Stafford are sitting as well. I mean, Stafford week one looked like just basically everything you would hope for when the Rams made that trade. Um, And not just the deep ball proficiency, which obviously gets mentioned a lot as kind of being Mm -hmm. such a motivating factor but also his taking care of the football, making the right decisions, which were part of the reasons why the Rams, I think, moved on from Jared Goff. So he looked phenomenal as well. Yeah, it was um, really night and day, just at least in terms of what it seemed like uh, the quarterback was comfortable with, or at least what Sean McVay was comfortable with calling in those situations uh, with Stafford going five of seven, 197 yards on deep Mm -hmm. passes just it seems like night and day from where Jared Goff was at the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of Rams fans are probably curious about your experiences uh, in the booth for the preseason Rams games. And since there was no preseason, has it been two of the last three years since there was? Yeah, no yeah, because there wasn't last year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, didn't get that last year. What 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 exactly is that uh, like? Can you can you sort of uh, walk us through um, the week of those preseason games and uh, sure. how much you get a sense of uh, the Rams, especially you know the this last year, what the sort of sense was during your time covering them this year? Yeah, you know the Rams are obviously a very unique 
not actually increasingly less unique in their approach to preseason, which is not playing, not just not playing the starters, but John Wolford didn't take a snap this year. Um, But uh, so you're, you're, and and you're also obviously not seeing schematically. I mean, there, there's some similarities between what they'll do in the regular season and what the starters will do, but it's a bit more vanilla looks on both sides of the ball, but you do see players who do eventually become starters and just watching the Rams, Mm-hmm. On Sunday night, um, Justin Hollins actually did play in the preseason. So, you know, that that was kind of a question mark for the team. Who's going to get that opposite uh, edge rusher spot opposite Leonard Floyd? And um, he was really impactful, I thought. And there are guys now on the team who were who excelled in preseason 2019, like Darius Williams was an undrafted free agent who definitely played a lot that preseason. But as far as for me on my end, it's really familiarizing myself with the roster because it's a ton of names, it's a ton of names. Most people don't know kind of learning who they are. And then also learning um, where the question marks are uh, on the Rams roster, because again, you're looking forward to potentially, okay, well, where can any of these guys make the team? Where can they contribute? What might that look like? Um, you know, where do they need depth? Where are the sort of spots on the roster where they can make an impact, not just now, but in the future. And so it's kind of thinking through all of that before the game. Well, yeah, one of my favorite things uh, to do these last couple of years covering the Rams has been, you know, really delving into some of the personal backstories of these young players. And at, and at that point, at that level of a person's story, it doesn't matter if you're the number one pick in the draft or an undrafted free agent just reading somebody's story. It's cool that they're in the NFL and they also have done X or Y or Z. Mm -hmm. And so I love that part of it. And that's also something that you're so uh, intimately familiar with over, you know, these last 10 ish, 10 plus years uh, of, you know, writing at ESPN and covering players and uh, athletes and stuff like that. Do you have any of those, uh, perhaps for the Rams, anybody that was on the team uh, this year that maybe stood out to you for something that you had maybe seen from them or heard from them or heard about them or read about them or covered or in any sort of way? Gosh, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but I was really amazed by Darius Williams. So I just mentioned his story, mm-hmm. um, undrafted guy. So he played for UAB which you might remember it was the, the school where the football program got killed um, and University right. of Alabama, Birmingham. And I, I might be misrepresenting this. I really hope I'm not, but I remember that he like went home and worked to be, to make money in the meantime at like a home goods store and be close to his family and take care of them and kind of wait for the chance to get back into football. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing that for the first time when I, w- I didn't think he was going to make, well, I didn't not didn't think, but I sure, certainly didn't think he was a sure bet to make the Rams right. roster. Totally. And then flash forward two years to see this guy intercepting Russell Wilson, <laughs> big moments um, and becoming like, you know, the entrenched starter opposite Jalen Ramsey. It's just really cool when you know the backstory and everything a person's gone through to get to that point. Absolutely. I mean, Darius Williams is going to be a guy who I think like, a lot of players end up sort of becoming, which is 
um, the fans of the team or people uh, really paying close attention might be aware of how good they are, or how good they're perceived to be. You know, Darius Williams, he got the first round tender offer from the Rams mm-hmm. this year. And I think when he signs a contract next year, whether that's with the Rams or another team, I, I think that dollar figure will start to represent to people just how valuable uh, he's been to the Rams in the last couple of years, not just as a guy who's benefiting from playing next to Jalen Ramsey, I think uh, is he's been a very like just a very solid cornerback and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And that's not a strength of the other NFC West teams that it seemed like going into the season. You also talked about yeah the injury to Jason Barrett and that's not mm-hmm. too surprising. San Francisco takes a lot of risks with uh, injury prone players. So it's not that surprising uh, perhaps, but we'll see if the 49ers can overcome it this time with regards to the Rams. Their next opponent is the Colts. You talked about your thoughts on the Titans. Do you have thoughts Mm. on the Colts after week one and what their expectation level should be at right now? Well, I think the Rams should win. (laughs) Um, You know, the Colts uh, just kind of hitting both sides of the ball. Obviously, a very fundamentally sound defense, kind of know what to expect from them. They're going to play a lot of cover two, not a ton of blitzing. Um, DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard are the stars of the team. Um, I think, you know, they, they're with the first round draft pick, they took Quiddy Pay, who mm-hmm. has definitely flashed both in the preseason and week one, but they don't have a ton of juice up front. And I don't think they have the personnel in the back to contend with all of the Rams weapons. Um, you know, the, the Seahawks had a pretty, uh, were able to attack them over the top is particular. The two safeties, Julian Blackman and Kari Willis had a tough time with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf underneath as well. So I, I just feel like the Rams weapons are going to be too much for them to deal with. Um, on the other side. Yeah, that was, you know, an interesting, I guess, debut for Carson Wentz. Um, yeah, I felt I felt like the hope for Carson Wentz going into the season was like, oh, he's playing behind this great offensive line, and finally he will be unpressured, better scheme. But you actually, I, I, what I noticed, well, first of all, the offensive line isn't as good as they used to be, uh, particular left tackle, but really. Across the board, you saw Seahawks getting pressure. Some of that was because of the Seahawks defensive line, I think, being deeper. But a lot of it was just kind of Carson Wentz holding onto the football. So I feel like the Rams can really exploit that tendency of his. I wouldn't be surprised, though. And and this is actually probably coming off of the Rams' first game, maybe a little bit obvious. I wouldn't be surprised if Indianapolis goes very run heavy. You brought up uh, also Carson Wentz, and, and that made me think of something like interesting too. And, and to get your thoughts on, we're living in such a fascinating time of being a, a quarter back. You know, uh, you are a crossword enthusiast uh, for your Twitter <laughs> bio, which I just happen to have up here right now. Uh, and we are at a crossroads, uh, perhaps for uh, quarterbacks. Uh, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff being traded at this stage in their careers, you know, was kind of unprecedented. And yet teams were like, we can do this now. We're going to do this now. Matthew Stafford, it's kind of unprecedented for a franchise quarterback who's 32 to say, I want out. And then the team appeases 
freezes him. Deshaun Watson won't play for the Texans, and there's other circumstances going on there. Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson both may have disputes with their front offices that could lead to divorces in the coming years. This is something we've never seen, this amount of quarterback turnover. And at the same time, you look at the guys that are coming into the league year after year, and you kind of wonder to what degree are quarterbacks sort of fungible, or at least can you get excited about the next guy, which it seems like right now that's something that's becoming more and more commonplace, especially as quarterback salaries go up. Uh, the Rams paid a high price to get Matthew Stafford. Obviously, they expect to be the quarterback for a long time. What, what are your thoughts on all this movement? Do you think we'll see Russell Wilson uh, traded? Do you think we'll see Aaron Rodgers traded? Uh, you know, all these, do you think big names like Deshaun Watson and, and all these big names that are kind of just sitting there, maybe not going to be in the long term, will in fact continue to get moved more and more often? Um, I don't think often, you know, that mm-hmm. I think it's pretty telling that even though Rogers into a lesser extent, Wilson kind of kicked yeah. up some dust this off season, like nothing, a much lesser extent, yeah, much lesser extent. Know, just to be clear. Like yeah. But nothing, clear. nothing happened. Right. At the end of the day, we talk about how quarterbacks are more empowered than ever, but NFL contracts are really hard to get out of. And, um, NFL careers are really short even for quarterbacks. I, I think there's kind of an, an, you don't think quarterbacks are willing to give up the prime of their career and their earnings and hold out. And, you know, I, there's so few examples of instances where, you know, I, Matthew Stafford's actually a good, a, a good example because it was mutually agreed upon, right? It was, I mean, he went to the organization, asked for it and they agreed. And that's why it happened from their end of it. I don't think, it's very rare that you're going to see star quarterbacks and their teams come to that sort of, I don't know, agreement or yeah. just peace with it. I think it's a, that is a really rare opportunity. And then for, to have it go to the opposite thing, like Rogers forcing his way out. Well, he didn't, I think it's pretty telling. <laughs> the Watson sure. thing is obviously very unique because of his legal circumstances with the 22 mm-hmm. allegations or the lawsuits he's facing for sexual misconduct. So I, that one's going to play out you know, in the courts and separately, but I think there's going to be teams like the Rams with an appetite for a trade or a big acquisition and sort of less so than you're going to see quarterbacks forcing the issue. I think you're going to be see teams with a greater willingness to sacrifice draft picks, similar to what San Francisco did, frankly, even though that's a different case, right? Cause they're not trading for a quarterback. They're drafting one. Right. I think more than ever teams want to capitalize on their windows to find a quarterback. Yeah, that would seem to be, yeah, that would seem to be the case. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting uh, time of some uh, new changes, some, you know, interesting uh, things on the horizon. I do want to get your thoughts from a sports media perspective, because it is also such an interesting time in, I think, sports media, and especially in the way that the NFL is covered. I don't know, you know, there was like, uh, there's going to be some announcement about hard knocks on uh, Thursday night football. Uh, and I think it's been uh, sort of related to how there is so much access to NFL based content. Now you've got Peyton and Eli Manning hosting what was a very entertaining Monday night football show. Uh, you've got quarterbacks like Rogers and Wilson who have in-season podcasts or they make appearances on on TV shows uh, throughout the week and they talk mm-hmm. about their game. You've got 
players who have vlogs and they're like updating people on their lives every day on Instagram. It's hard to do a hard knocks anymore. And, you know, even uh, yourself, you know, you wear a lot of different hats where you're in a broadcast booth and that's probably uh, been a much different experience than hosting a podcast, which is most different than uh, doing around the horn, which is different than writing an article. So everybody sort of has to wear a lot of hats. What, what do you think uh, the future of sort of, uh, NFL media or media a- NFL access or, or the way that people consume NFL content. Do you have any idea like uh, what to expect next as um, more sort of uh, changes unfold as far as that NFL content? Um, that's a big question. It is <laughs> I, kind I, of broad I, in general. <laughs> I think, I, well, you know, I think that the platforms are changing more quickly than the people because i think um yes you are seeing athletes communicate directly to fans more through kind of in the ways that you mentioned through their own podcasts or appearances um but for the most part i think people just like listening to watching reading people who are really passionate about either the game or their specific teams it's just kind of changing the way that that's conveyed right whether it's through digital audio or digital video, it's different from just tuning into the same programs or um, this listening to the same voices all the time. So yeah. I think, I mean, I, and I'll tell you that as a consumer of media, rather than a maker of one, I'm always finding new people covering teams or talking about teams. And I, I always think no one knows their team better than the fans of the team. And right. so I love finding new voices and writers for teams and kind of recognizing, oh yeah, this person does a great job covering the Rams like you do and, and keeping up with them that way. I just always like am drawn to people who are very passionate about whatever they're covering or talking about or yeah. what have you. And and some athletes are and some aren't, by the way, <laughs> who make their own things and it comes across. Without, you know, mentioning any athletes who aren't, like I guess, do you have <laughs> any athletes uh whose um, shows that you do find to be very good, addictive, uh, something that you find to be like, oh, wow, this is an interesting insight into whatever that athlete does. Oh, gosh, I'm just trying to think. A lot of them are retired players. Yeah. I was going to say, like, um, you know, well, I work with Guy Ryan Clark, who has a great podcast. Brandon Marshall's stuff is really good, um, more so than J.J. Redick, um, <laughs> his NBA podcast. I, I like his podcast. It's not really an NBA podcast. But um, yeah, just always kind of looking for, for kind of voices more than any particular team or name. Um, uh, one person with a podcast this offseason was Sean McVay. He, uh, That's right. Yeah, Very he did good. the flying coach. And then again, I'm just like blown away that I can hear active NFL coaches right now in the prime, not even in the prime of their career, you know, like mm-hmm. beginning before the prime talking about how they do their jobs, what you know, stories of doing their jobs. It's insane what we can hear now. Um, Sean McVay is 35 years old. I'm 38 years old. And I don't know how to wrap my head around <laughs> being the head coach of an <laughs> NFL team. Can do you think you can add up, you know, you, you've got a lot of responsibilities, you, you know, you've, you've, you've worked your way up to, uh, you know, uh, hard work that, that got you uh, where you are today. Can, do you think you can identify with uh, Sean McVay, like no. being at this position? In his life? <laughs> I don't, I don't, because especially because so much of what McVay does and I think why he's successful isn't just um, 
the play calling and the X's and O side of it, but the management of people, right? And um, the idea of being so young and managing so many people, many of them are older than you, is uh, very awe-inspiring. Uh, as we uh, wrap it up here, I get a couple more uh, football questions for you, Mina. Um, I just, uh, speaking of head coaches, uh, who do you think of among the new head coaches who had the best week one? You mentioned Nick Sirianni on Twitter and the Eagles. Uh, there was also David Coley and the Texans, you know, getting a very convincing win over another first uh, year head coach, Urban Meyer, and then Brandon Staley, who uh, was with the Rams. Now, of course, the Chargers, he got a win. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the first week among the new head coaches? Yeah, um, I was super impressed by Sirianni, uh, granted against, I think, a pretty bad Falcons team, but um, I really liked what I saw from their offense. He's an offensive guy decision-making really good. Um, David Kelly, if that Texans team wins like more than four games, he should just win coach of the year straight <laughs> up. Like that roster is whoo. And then uh, Staley is kind of the real competition. You know, I think um, that's a really good chargers team. And of course the, the Ramley know him uh, mm. being the brilliant defensive mind he is, but also a great leader who's, I, you know, I've met him before is really charismatic. And I think, um, that's the team of the ones you mentioned, certainly where I think they'd be one to watch granted in the other conference as a dark horse, the Rams get a week one win over the bears. Uh, we talked about how well the Rams played. Um, how well did you think the bears played? Do you think that the Rams beat a good team or do you think that the Rams, uh, you know, maybe they're, they haven't been had, you know, where, where do you think the bears are at right now? I don't think they're a good team. <laughs> it's, I mean, all the Rams can do is beat the team from them. Um, defensively, I think up front, there's still a lot of talent, but I think that secondary is really undermanned right now. It's been drained of talent in a pretty big way. And then on offense, it's just a very limited offense. I mean, that Bears mm -hmm. offensive line, it's just a nightmare, right? It's, I actually thought Andy Dalton was kind of decent in the game, given yeah. the circumstances. But um, yeah, yeah. I was impressed by the Bears rushing attack, I guess, in that game. Um, although I know, you know, the Rams do play those light boxes and kind of dare teams to run. But um, yeah, I don't think they're very good. If I if I had to one last question about football, if I if I had to uh, answer now, it, uh, the Rams and the Seahawks, if they mm. play, if they played this weekend, where Whew. would you be at? I have a slight lean Rams right now in my power rankings, just because I think they're, I mean, when you have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey on one side of the ball, I, I, it, I that the Rams defense is what I really want to see kind of going forward um, mm -hmm. to see if there's any regression there with some of the losses. But I think the Rams are slightly more balanced. The Seahawks secondary has some real holes. There you have it. Mina Kimes uh, sides with the LA Rams. <laughs> I could be wrong. I want to say that it's very close. Uh, of course you can follow Mina on Twitter at Mina Kimes uh, and check out the Mina Kimes podcast. Uh, Mina, anything else you'd like to plug or anything that you have coming up? Um, no, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Mina. And uh, if you're out there, yeah, please subscribe. If you're a, a Rams fan, there'll be plenty more Rams content. Check out TurfShowTimes.com and follow us on our new Instagram page. That's it. Come back next time for another episode of the Turf Show Times radio podcast. Video podcast. Video podcast. <laughs>